0: Hello, it's Nick, back once again. So soon, I know I, huh? Spoiling all eight of you listeners, but hey, that's oh, because I'm one of the good guys. Or at least, good in compared to pretty much any one of the bastards we've talked about in the town. Um, we've mentioned quite a few. There's people like Conch, Fergus, Maeve, Alil, Cathba, and even Conal Carnage. But they're more... There's so much more than just the whalers, to and Marley. Each of them has their own intriguing tales, like, like, weaved throughout the rich tapestry of Irish mythology. Does that sound a bit too pretentious? (laughs) Of course it does, but indulge me as we take a journey through the people of the town. It's like someone trying to tell a story over Zoom, you know, after a few drinks, getting, like, constantly interrupted with other people's jokes and interjections, and then there's a split second of silence. And then everyone goes crap for it. And then everyone goes for it again. It's just tangent central. And you kind of get nowhere. But everyone's having a good time. So who really cares if the actual facts get a bit lost in the retelling of whatever story's going on. That's the toy vast works of, like, oral history that overlap relentlessly with, well, like, some supporting and a lot contradicting what went on before. Most likely due to a lot of people putting their own sort of, their own sort of spin in things. And thus, thus to try and get a fully rounded uh, and, like, fleshed out version. Well, I mean, that's pretty much damn near impossible, isn't it? But we're going to try. Because what else do we have to do, you know? Oh, uh, another thing. If you hear any banging or yelling, uh, don't phone the place. It's just my teenage daughter Been really, really happy about having to tidy room before we watch the next film in our one-a-day Marvel Universe Odyssey. Uh, I think we're on number 13 out of 23, Age of Ultron today. Um, but not until, obviously, until I get finished this. And we're in episode 20, Around the hind. To learn of the past, answers can't be asked, it's researching such a mystery. So i grab this podcast and i learn at last of Ulster's reverend history. So where else to start but with the king of Ulster? The man who seems to have more haters than a DUP spad. But just what has he done? Is he a victim of circumstance? Just an innocent caught up in the high stakes game of Ulster real society. A man overwhelmed by the cult of personality. Now, he's just a bit of a dick. Well, in my opinion. But as always, we hope you make up your own mind. So grab a seat, strap in, and let's get cracking. The King of Ulster. What a title, eh? Head of the most notorious and raucous of all the provinces. His name is Conqueror Macnessa. But we should call him Conch. Yes, that's Conch. Just, I, I agree, to slip the tongue away from getting thrown off the airways. Well... If this was the 80s. Anyway, he was rumoured to have been born on Christmas Day. But not just like any old Christmas Day. You know, the first one. Like the actual same day as the baby Jeebus. Now, whilst the daddy woke up the new Playstation or or even like a bloody set, he probably still did alright for himself. As he was rich. However, he was of dubious parentage. As his dad was either Fakna McFakna or Cathba. So if you start with Cathba, you know, he's like the creepy druid from the previous episodes who, like, uh, he does the prophecies that Cahoolan follows to be famous. Well, I don't know about you, but my idea of a druid is exactly, I mean, exactly like the scene from the start of Robin Hood. You know, Prince of Thieves, where, like, the sheriff and Nottingham them and his mates all have hooded robes, are carrying torches and are rhythmically chanting odd words over and over as they go to kill Ron's dad. Now, yeah... Call me a victim of Hollywood propaganda, if you will, but that's just how I see them. And Cathba, he's kind of in that vein as he does like a lot of killing. In many ways, you could say he's like kind of the first Viking of Ireland as, um, at least in his youth, he roams about the countryside, being all rippy rapey and pillagey, and just kind of doing whatever he likes. To illustrate this, there's a girl called Nessa that he takes a bit of a shine to, and instead of going to meet her parents and doing things properly, he decides to murder all 12 of her foster dads. Nothing like mass homicide to show your affection, I've always said. Anyway, Nessa kind of liked her, doesn't that? So to seek vengeance, she went to all kind of kill bell, found herself a master and became a real badass with a blade. However, one day, she decided to go bathing alone. Left her weapons on the shore. And along came the predatory Cathba and threatened her with a sword and goes all rapey again. Afterwards, he makes her get him some maid, and in it, he finds two worms, which he makes her drink. She becomes pregnant and then strangely agrees to be his wife for life. Now, I'm not sure how quickly all that happens, but he gets back to Ulster with her to meet her biological parents, which is a, an incredibly brave move considering his previous parasitical history, but Nessa's dad actually makes him proper welcome and gives him land near the Crooken, which is the land of the picks, who you may remember as the original blue-faced people that Mel Gibson culturally appropriated in the movie Braveheart. Anyway, as was the norm, in Irish high society, she had a long-term lover, the previously mentioned Fiegna McFiegna, which, yes, okay, may not exactly be how you pronounce it, but I like it, so whatever. Now, he's not just a bit of rough that she kind of fished out of the local tavern, he's the bloody high king of Ireland and the man who many believe to be the real dad of Conch, but with no real proof, I believe it's Cath, based purely on the fact that, you know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree in regards to his kind of like bastardly behaviour, which we just mentioned, such as all the raping in general, not give a fuckery, and at this juncture, I just want to confirm that rape is abhorrent, just in case you think I'm making light of it here. I'm not. It's just that the act of rape forms such uh, a part of these stories that if I have to cry moral indignation every time it happens in the pods, they would be even longer. And Jesus, they're long enough. And also, I have to say that I don't know much about and McFiaka, so he could be a total bastard too, like most men of power were in those days, and probably still are, to be fair. Anyway, to show how much of a total calf is, again... Uh, when Ness's waters broke on the 24th of December on their way to visit Fyacna instead of like getting her some gas air and panicking that he couldn't find a midwife he actually made her sit in a cold slap of stone in, in like an attempt to delay the birth by 24 hours as he, ha- he had prophesied that a special child would be born the very next day uh, you can only imagine his rage when he heard news from Bethlehem of the birth of Jesus, eh? But when Conch was eventually born, Casper left him by a river so he could have like a sneaky fag and <laughs> he only turned around to see the newborn floating past him face down and that's how he got his name, in honour of the river conqueror. that he was fished out of at barely even a day old. And just on on the whole Jesus thing, um, it's kind of speculated that this is a much later addition. Generally, when Ireland was moving as a nation from paganism to Christianity I was like, other stories that mention Feagna, that have him reigning like 50 or even 100 years BC. So, either he couldn't really have been a dad, or the Jesus-style story is a tad flicky. You decide. So yes, bit of a sidebar there, but we may have established that Cathpe is a bullbag, and so is Conch, who he raises as his own, even though he may not really be. Anyway, he grows up at court because kappa is not is an advisor slash possibly also dad of the king of Ulster at the time, a guy called Fergus McRoig, meaning son of the great horse. But very little is known about his parents and I doubt they were actual horses, though he does have a certain um, horse-like quality, which the lady seemed to, you know, like. And yes, you have met him before, it's a storyteller he's hanging out with, and of course, of Maeve and her Irish warband. Like I said, Fergus was king but he fell in love with Nessa, Conch's mum, and was so smitten that he agreed to let Conch sit on the throne for a year if Nessa would take his hand in marriage. Sounds a little unconventional, but Ireland had some mad traditions at the time, and one such tradition was that only a man with royal blood could become king. So Fergus would give up his kingship for a year and let Conch uh, Conch take the throne, and all of Conch's kids would be eligible from henceforth. Sounds like a sweet deal. I mean, what's what's the worst that could happen? Fergus gets his bride... Conch is seven, it's not like anyone wants a seven year old king, do that? Well, I they kind of do. Or more they want his mum as regent, as Nessa was pretty shrewd, cut from similar cloth like a Cersei Lannister, and she advises Conch so well that the nobles of Ulster don't want to give the throne back to Fergus, resulting in him being ostracized from Oster. Fergus goes crying to the latest high king, a man named Euhit Fedlik, and they declare war in Ulster together. Lots of fighting ensues, many people die, and then everyone gets a bit tired, and a deal is struck. Fergus gives up and a deal is struck. Fir gives up his immediate claim to the throne, becomes heir to Conch, gets some choice land, and also the much sought after Curfair, or champion's portion, which is kinda like the first pick of the chicken from a KFC bucket. And just as another side here, if Conch was Fyakna's son, albeit illegitimate, then this process may not have needed to happen. So that may be another pointer to him being Catholic's progeny. But that's mere speculation. So on with the story we go. remember in the last pod we talked about ku wrecking a game of chess between Conch and Ferg and in the pod before that Ferg was with me so some drama or another kind of happened in between and we'll get to that but first let's go back to chat about the high king Johid Fedlik. This guy was only the high king because he fought and beheaded the previous high king Thekna McFekna who was yes that's right lover to Ness and outside better being conscious that high five if you remember what I said a mere five minutes ago. So went to Johid Got the medication and a further part of the aforementioned deal of conch marrying Yohid's eldest daughter to unite the kingdoms and all that jive can anyone have a guess at her name it starts with an m and ends with eve yes it's me the crazy lady who's now attacking ulcer in the name of a bull wait what how come like she married conch was now queen of conant long story i mean it really is and we shall try to summarize it as best as we can you can see how life back then was really full of complete mad drama on it and with the kind of people you'd see in Jerry Springer or if you don't know who that is feel free to insert a more contemporary reference here as I don't watch that kind of mock no more anyway Maven Conch get married yay and she bears him a son called Amoglid, then leaves him not the son Conch because he's not exactly a gentleman as proved when he later rapes her at an all-Ireland party conference at the hill of Tara, leading to an all-out war between Conor and Ulster And when I say all out, it's not really all out, as Conch marries Maeve's sister, Ethna, who also was a son by him, but not before Maeve drowns her in a river. Yes, that sounds mental, I know, but Ethna's son, Ferbade, is thus brought into this world by means of a posthumous Caesarean section on his drowned mother. Hmm. Maeve then goes all out and completes the set by killing her other sister, who was also married to Conch at some point, and she is called Clothry. She merely stabbed this one, which was nice of her, but at least had the decency to let her have her baby first. And he was called Cormac Conclongus, Who you may remember, was given to Ferg as a foster son and is with him telling stories by Coote in the last chapter. I hope you're getting all this. Basically, Maeve kills her two sisters, both of whom married and had kids through her former rapey husband, Conch. And just to round off the family, Conch, he has two sisters. Fun who marries the poet Amargin, having a son, Colonel Carnage. And then Dekna, who was the mother of Ku, with, as we discussed previously, the dad either being Sultan, the Godlu, or even Conch himself. Whew. Okay, so I'm guessing right about now you're just a little confused about who is who and what is what, or if you have your head around all this, you're probably just a bit disgusted and bemused at the shenanigans. But wait. There is more to come. It's easy to be harsh on Maeve, you see, as she's a bit shady, to say the least. But let's add a little bit of context and see if it helps you understand why she is the way she is. Well, she was one of six children, three triplet boys and three non-triplet girls. Her sister Clothru, who was later murdered by Maeve, discovered that the triplets were all going to kill their father. So made sure they didn't, not by squealing on them to the peelers or anything sensible like that. No, she decided to prevent patricide and regicide by sleeping with all three of them in the name of the king. And it worked, as her brothers didn't kill her dad. So in that abstract, weird sense, it was justified. But unfortunately, yeah, she didn't strap it up before they slapped it up, and she got pregnant. But just which one of the three brothers would be the lucky father? Fortunately, we don't need Jerry Springer for this one, as we already know. Incredibly, it turned out to be all three. Legad, their son, was nicknamed Ravendarg, the Red Stripe. As he arrived into this world with two red stripes, one around his neck and one around his waist, giving him a head resembling her brother Nair, a torso resembling her brother Brez, and the legs and feet of her brother Lothar. Legad would later go on to become High King, so in a very odd way, Clothrae preserved the royal line, but she wasn't finished. Presumably before May Stabner, she slept with and provided Nair. For, yes, that's right, her son, Legad the baby was called Crimpton, who would also go on to be High King and had the very interesting and odd distinction that he could legitimately call Clothru his mother, his aunt, and his grandmother. I shit you not. So that gives a little insight into how Maeve may have turned out so mental, but we haven't finished with her story yet. As you need to know, how she became Queen of Connaught. Now, remember her dad, Euclid. High King of Ireland, well, in a major abuse of power that would make even the unelected EU politicians blush, he deposed the then King of Conant, Tinney McConry, and installed Maeve in his place. Tinney, though, was uh, was quite aware of Maeve's dual loves, that of power and penis, so wangled his way into her affections and helped her both to rule and ride for a number of years. Now, ruling is both stressful and time-consuming, and the couple used uh, an aforementioned All-Ireland Conference and Tower to double as work and pleasure. But then Conch did his thing, and sparked a war. Tinny, who was probably a few sides deep at the time, challenged Conch's no holes barred, one on one, and there ended poor Tinny. Then, as sure as far as full of beer, a new suitor popped up almost immediately in the form of Yoad Dalla, who became both Maeve's next husband, and thus joint ruler of Conalt. Maeve, very much a strong, independent woman, demanded only three things of any husband, that he be without fear, meanness, or jealousy. Now the first two were mere dressing, as I mean it's the third rule that she really coveted due to her avid regard for, shall we call them, male bedfellows. And thus, whilst kind of married the Yohid she took Alil MacMara, chief of her bodyguard, as one of them. One day, she was so excited to get Alil in the bed that she forgot to lock the door, and now Yohid walked in. Feel being an understandable rage, he decided it was a good idea to challenge Alil to single combat, and there ended Yohid Dalla. Alil then married Maeve and became king of Conrad himself. And just in case you forgot, as we previously mentioned, Alil was none other than Maeve's great-nephew. It, it really is proper Game of Thrones, Targaryen incest vibes, isn't it? Absolutely marvellous stuff. So, as we've alluded to, or possibly just so I'd say it, Maeve was quite a goer to use the parlance of her times. And another of her lovers was none other than Fergus the former king of Ulster, His name kinda means virility of the great horse, so we can only speculate as to why Maeve liked him, but why did he like her? You know, knowing her history as a murderer and a bit of a madwoman. Well, it seems that all the practice was pen off for Maeve as it took seven normal women to satisfy Ferg to the same extent as a single Maeve. And that is quite a boast, but nothing compared to the inverse. And that Maeve was so happy with Ferg's, Mm, Equine ability that it would take a whopping 30 normal men to satisfy her, as he could do in a single session. Jeez, Pearl, great, and I feel ill, eh? But it wasn't just a great sex from Maeve that had lured Fergus to con it. No, it may come as a surprise that it was because of another woman, though this time one of no relation. And that woman is called Deirdre, a girl who was made famous for her sorrows. Deirdre, as prophesied by that old walking windbag Kathba would grow up to become the most beautiful woman the world would ever see. Can you tell me whose ears pricked up the most when they heard that? Now normal people would probably just go, oh it's not lovely, I'm really happy for the girl, It's great, great bloody news, you know. But not our old mate Conch, no, he was ready making plans to betroth her, so much so that he neglected to listen to the finer points of the prophecy. It mentions... Kind of minute details such as Kings and lords going to war over her beauty, horrendous levels of bloodshed and that she will be the end for the sons of Usnich, oh yes, and that Ulster's greatest warriors would be forced into exile because of her. Oh listen, she wasn't even born yet. Now many of Conch's advisors believe that she was better off dead, or sorry, they are better off with her dead. So advise Conch to kill the mum in a kind of Sarah Connor-esque execution, as in the warrior first culture that kind of existed in Ireland at the time. Obtaining a beautiful wife was just not worth losing your great heroes or possibly even a kingdom over. But Conch knew better. On the night of her birth, he held a great party and many of the guests got so wasted in the free drinking drugs that they literally slept while they passed out. But that night, Deirdre, as she was being, shall we say, wrenched out of her mother's womb, led her to scream so loud that many of the warriors leapt up from their stupor and started stabbing the nearest person to them. It was carnage, an enormous start to the young girl's life, but it did give her her handle. If you think Deirdre is a beautiful name, then hey, that's cool, but be aware that it basically means sound of an air horn. Sorry to rain any romanticism for you there. Conch, kind of still unperturbed by the death of so many of his warriors, her away to a lovely life of isolation, not due to any coronavirus pandemic, you understand, but to keep her free from company until she comes of age. By when he will send for her to become his latest victim. Sorry, wife or sorry wife would probably survive, I suppose. Yes, only a tad creepy, but her carer is a wise old woman called Liebergum, who kind of kind of dotes on the young Deirdre and lets her run free in the forest to play with the animals, kind of like a like a Snow White slash Rapunzel crossover. And it's there that she meets Noish. A really ugly young woodcutter with a bad dose of leprosy and a wonky looking clubfoot. And they fall madly in love. Uh, okay, that's bollocks, isn't it? He's not ugly. Never gonna be. Or any of those other things. He's a very handsome young chap. Though, wouldn't it be refreshing if she had to fall in love with a stinker? Like, kind of a normal like the rest of us, you know? I mean, it's not gonna happen, like. So anyway, she tells of the plants Conch has for her and they inevitably elope in the middle of the night, secretly. With only the bare essentials, you know, hat, scarf, pants, sword, map, 150 maidens, and a small army of soldiers, including Nosh's two brothers. Now here's a quick question for you. Would you be able to tell me where Nosh is from? Can you guess? I know need for answers in the postcards. It's a place called Usnich. making him and his brothers, the sons of Usnich, prophesy to die due to Deirdre's delightful looking face. But they still go on the run anyway. And that kind of makes me think I'm not entirely sure if they knew of the prophecy. Because surely the brothers would have pointed out that it actually names them directly in it. But I suppose that's a midpoint now. Especially as once they've left, that was it. Rubicon crossed. Constantly on the run. Like fugitives. They had to keep skipping down. As every so often either Conch would be closing in on their hideout. Or some horny lord of the land catches sight of Deirdre. And decides that she is to be his. Even if it means murder. Fear not for them, as they do eventually find a gay king. I mean, he must be, because he doesn't try to capture Deirdre. And surely, I mean, there's no other logical reason why he wouldn't try to steal a beautiful woman away from her husband, like is there? You know what I mean? Anyway, he lets him stay in his castle, but Alcon gets a sweet tip off and Fergus is dispatched to ensure their capture and return. He truly apprehends them all, alive, because, you know, Fergus kind of dead on like that. However, on the journey back, he is offered a feast. And lo and behold, he's a gash. By which he cannot refuse such an offering, so he has to oblige. Now, I'm not sure if we've uh, like properly explained Gesh before, I've sort of hinted at them, but they are really, really important. They're basically a rule you cannot break that serves no purpose but the advance the story. But they're given the utmost import by the characters of the town, like, like a solemn oath. It's that whole honour-bound society thing again. And Gesh always come into play whenever shit is about to get down. And this is so true here as the rest of Ferg's party have contrasting geshes to him. They have oddly sworn not to eat until they return Deirdre home. Ferg, uh, unwilling to kind of shame himself for his province by breaking his geshe and refusing the host, has to stay and have his fill of food, but not one to subject his famished men do to having to watch him while he gluttons it up. He orders his son Fiacre and his men to push on and deliver the captives to Conch. In startling shock, the Gesh causes a plot twist, and upon arriving near Emin Maha, a man called Yogan Materda attacks the party and kills everyone, including Ferg's son, Fyacra. And especially those ill-fated sons of Usnitch, sparing basically only Deirdre, who within minutes can legitimately be called the new Queen of Ulster, whether she said I do or not. Anyway, nuptials over, not tied, the newlyweds immediately bolt off to Cancun on honeymoon. But whilst away, a well fed but um, mildly furious Ferg arrives at Eamon with a bit of a bee in his bonnet about the betrayal and thus proceeds to torch the entire estate. Before then, defecting to the Connaught and into the arms and bed of the awaiting Maeve, taking with him a 3,000 strong retinue of Ulstermen including his foster kid, Cormac Congregus, who, remember, is actually Consho's son. You may be wondering, why is Maeve so receptive to the Ulsterman? Is it just any enemy of Ulster is a friend of mine type vibe? And I'm sure that's part of it, a big part of it, but I also think Maeve has had her eye on Ferg's own big part for quite a while. As for Deirdre, she's having a really shit time of it, even more so than usual. Think of her as, as an even more unfortunate version of Sansa Stark. She doesn't really eat or sleep, and after a year, Conch shows his incredible lack of self-awareness and asks her why she's such a miserable old bent. Apart from the constant rapings and the fact that it only took the selfish bastard a year to ask, she replies that she just hates him and Yogurt, Yogurt being the man who killed her true love, the ugly farmhand Noish. Conch is somehow aghast at this news and doubles down on his full-on bastardness and sells her to Yogurt. Too, uh, too cheap to pay for delivery Yogurt comes to collect And as he's taking her away Via the more romantic coastal route She decides to leap from the chariot And dashes her beautiful bake On the rocks below It's a real horror show of a life Truly, truly tragic But would you believe that many kids of Irish stock May well recognise that tale As it's been read as a bedtime story here for years Albeit in a more disnified style But you know, no wonder we have drinking issues eh? Obi-dui. Right, where are we? Okay, Conch is a bastard. Maeve's a bit mental. Catherwood is a creep. Alil is doing okay if you don't count banging his great-aunt. Ferg, yes, he's lost his son and his kingdom, still seems remarkably at ease with the world. Uh, Deirdre the most tragic life of all. Who else is there? Ah, okay, right. We'll tell you a story about Colonel Carnage. Uh, not massively related, but he's the guy whose chariot coup broke, so he couldn't stop them going to fight the same brothers. I mean, it's a cool story, and obviously, Obviously, the pangs of Ulster need to mention that. Is there anything else? Maybe. But sure, we'll crack on. See what happens. Okay, well, pangs first. As After all the incest and rape and murder and betrayal, let's tell a nice story, you know? Well, it starts nice at least, as you'd expect. So there's a farmer, a widower called Cronkoo, and he's struggling to bring up his two kids and keep the farm going. He has to do the harvest. Buys the crops, he maintains his tractors, does the school run, makes the lunches, does the housework, earns the uniforms, all of it, and it's hard bloody work, I can tell you, being a modern man myself. Now, one day, when he's finally got his kids to bed, he's sitting on his couch, sprawled and exhausted, having a beer to help him forget his troubles, and his front door creaks open, and an absolute worldie just glides into his house. Neither of them say a word, nor even share a glance. She just starts packing the dishwasher, hoovering the stairs, folding the clothes, wiping the surfaces, and he just sits there, half tired, half dumbstruck. She then leaves, and he thinks, what the hell was in my beer? But she was only outside getting logs for the fire, and when she's finished her self-appointed chores, she joins him in the bedroom for another type of hoovering, and all of a sudden, he's not so tired anymore. This then becomes the norm and she ends up pregnant and moves in. And to be honest, she's a bloody treasure. Both he and the kids love her, she's amazing, almost too good to be true. But she is true. Though with one caveat, the widower is not allowed to tell anyone about her. Like no one at all. Ever. A single, simple rule. Alarm bells are probably ringing in his head at that, but after years of loneliness, he doesn't give a shit about alarm bells. And rightly so. However, and we all knew there would be an however. A however, and however, whichever. But a few months later, he's out with his mates at Conch's house. A few drinks, bit of crack conch style, so there's games, strippers, horse racing. And that's when the trouble starts. Old Cronk, had been so good at keeping quiet about his living lover, even when everyone else is bragging about their estates and their wives and their girlfriends, he just stays inwardly smug but then some leg at the bar orders the bombs and shit goes south. Fast. Before he knows it, Kronky is staring at the horses thinking how they remind him of his wife, which kind of makes me think she may have been a little less attractive than first reported, but then he blurts out that she could outrun any of them. This cracks the guys up as they think he's just pissed because he ain't got no wife. He doesn't have nobody. But Conch doesn't like anyone slagging off his horses, so goes full on big lad and says, prove it. Conky immediately tries to retract his chat But concha adds his coup de grace Saying Prove it or die Classic concha escalation tactics right there And it forces Konku to sheepishly get in the blower To maca And ask her to don her spikes Because it's sprinting time Normally Like normally this would be a ridiculous ask A human to race a horse I mean wise up It's even more ridiculous this time though As she's almost 9 months pregnant But guess what She still wins Coming from the back of the field In an epic Kelly home style as she crossed the line, she collapses and boom, straight into Labour, evoking another Gesh. And what happens when we meet a Gesh? Yes, someone out there is getting screwed over, cause there's no other reason to have them like, at all. This one is that what a woman says in Labour cannot be undone, which I'd say most of us are glad is no longer a thing, well, just cause, you know. But Maca doubles down and hits Conch where it hurts, saying that Ulster's men will feel her pain when they are most in need. Thus, the curse of Maha causes the pangs that inflict the men of Ulster when Maeve's army approaches. Some say it like lasts for nine days every year, but when we get into it, that doesn't add up as the men are in those pangs for months while Alcuis is fighting off the Irish army almost single handedly. But why isn't he affected? Well, it's because he isn't from Ulster, would be the reason many give. But Ferg and the 3000 exiles can still run about, so it's a bit iffy, especially as if you have Leg, you know, chariot here, he's just who's from Ulster? fighting for Ulster, and he still hears about as if his pang pain ain't no thing, so who knows. Something else that doesn't really add up is that she's twins, and they lend her name to Ulster's capital, M and Maha, the Twins of Maha. I mean, I don't know about you, but it seems odd to me that the conceited and arrogant get that conscious would rename his home after a defeat, it's more likely a story a lot older, occurring way before conscious time, but that his name has just been drafted in as they needed a suitable character to play the absolute knobhead that he is. The type of man that would make a heavily pregnant woman race horses for sport. To be fair, he totally fits the bill. Either way, the outcome is the same and the men of us are all have fake labours for months. Also if you're getting all girl power and feminist about Maha showing the boys how it's done, well, you should maybe know that she wasn't just some crazy fit lady, she was a goddess one of the three sisters of the Morgan, and the other two being the Neman, and of course, be who met when, you know, he was pulling conch from the bog before he had to run into the forest to get him a pork bob from the local Chippy. Is that us? No, no, that's right, I'll CC, Conal Karnak, half-brother to Koo and who also has the initial CC and it's speculated that Conal was responsible for many of the deeds that Koo gets applauded for. You killed half the men I got credit for. I saw you with blood all over yourself. That kind of thing. And 10 out of 10 if you get the reference there. But to get back to the point here, people need heroes and they want the coup to be magnificent. So kind of let him hoover a bullet of deezy coup. But Conal still does have a few craggers he can call his own. He was born after his mother, I can't act a Connacht lady, drank a worm in a cup. Yeah, I mean, how unoriginal. It's a bit of a trope now, isn't it? I mean, bloody worms. But it was prophesied that he would kill half his mother's people. Again, another, you know, prophecy of everyone killing him. Brilliant. Really original. Again. So her brother said, try to kill him at birth to prevent this. But somehow, only succeeded in breaking Cono's neck. So even though he survived, he walked all his life with his head slanting to one side. They're talking about heads. And to get the glimpse of how ferocious he was, he couldn't sleep. Like, literally, walk the floors unless he had a freshly cleaved head of a the warrior stored under his bed at night. And you wonder if his uncle's head found its way there, don't you? Or also, maybe if his uncle hadn't tried to kill him, he mightn't have started off life with a real hatred for the warriors, eh? But, my favourite story about him is from Mac Dotho's feast. It's basically in a big hall, and everyone's eating, there's loads of drink. there's a bit of music, there's a bit of crack, and then everyone gets to stand up and tell a few tales, and Ket was bragging about his deeds, and no one could bring up better deeds than him, until that is, Conal arrived and told much better stories that even Ket agreed were better, making him deserving of the champion's portion. Remember the chicken from the KFC bucket. However, Ket put a caveat in his claim, adding that if his brother Anlon was there, his deeds would top even Conal's, and Conal retorted by saying, but he is here. Oh, no, he's not, laughed Ket, holding his arms out wide and having a mock look under the table before shaking his head, for the hall was big, but it wasn't big enough for a man of Amnon's size to hide. Oh, yes, he is, said Conal, as he reached into a burlap sack and pulled out Amnon's blood-soaked head and tossed it into the horrified arms of his uncle. Now, that's a mic drop, isn't it? But one of the main reasons I'm telling you this is that Koo and Connell were very close and swore that if one of them was ever slain, the other that very night would begin to enact revenge. Which is a bit of a gash. And it's important later on. We teaser right there. And we shall end this episode in that cliffhanger. Now join us next week for more of Gahulin, it's 3 quarters and you're and you're gonna get hit with the same jaunty Irish music as one of the last weeks, as my teenagers are banging the door and busting my chops about watching this Marvel movie. So got it, yet. Let us